Hello and welcome back to another episode of Back in Camp. Today, me and Henry are joined by Dylan Trevelyan uh, for the from the swamps of Louisiana. So, how how has life been for you, Dylan? Uh, it's been quite good, actually. Um, coming off of hunting season recently, didn't kill a deer, which kind of sucked. However, the bees that have infested my deer stand are in fact getting removed this week. That's good to hear. Um, I know bees in the tree stand probably isn't the most pleasant companion. Uh, but no. Henry, how have you been this week? Well, I've been pretty good. Just uh, kind of living life and staying warm. It's been been pretty cold here this week. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, if it makes you feel any better, uh, we got 65 or something right around that today. Um, so... Oh yeah, that makes me feel just excellent. Good, good. Glad I could uh, support you. Um, so yeah, well, I had a few things I wanted to talk about here. I guess one thing for me, but uh, hunting influencer Eric Van Workham um, from Muley Freaks charged in felony poaching case. There's a lot of articles on this. The one I'm looking at here is uh, Field and Stream. But Eric Van Wilkram could be facing serious jail time and hefty fines after being accused of poaching in Idaho. Um, popular hunting personality for Muley Freak, uh, which if you know who they are. If you don't, look them up on YouTube. Uh, but being charged with felony unlawful possession of a trophy mule deer and misdemeanor trespass according to court documents obtained by Gear Junkie, who first broke the story. Um, so, I don't know the full story here. It's pretty much the extent of the article. Looking, potentially, could lose all ability to hunt in Idaho. And the buck was... If a buck is over 150 inches, it hits the trophy benchmark, which turns it into a felony. Um, and the buck that he got was 161 inches. So $50,000 fines and up to five years in jail, um, apparently. So I guess what may have happened is they were on public land and they chased it. It went on to private and they went on to private and shot it. Um, I don't know, Henry, you may know better than me, um, what happened there, but... I, I'd seen some things, not in the news article. I could be wrong there. Don't quote me on that. But I think that may have been what happened. Um, ends up on private, obviously. Not a good deal. Obviously, five years is probably won't be that much, and, but could be. So, and $50,000 fines. That's not pocket change, at least not for most of us. So, we'll have to keep you posted on what happens there. Um, you know, this... I don't know how long it'll take for the whole thing to shake down, but I am kind of curious to hear what the final story is uh, on what happens there. But anyways, just found that uh, interesting, a little bit concerning, because uh, I've watched a lot of their content. I'm a big fan of it. Um, I've, watched, I've, I've been watching Muley Freak for, for a year or so now, just on and off, but it's like when you get a big YouTuber like that that, that has this happen it's never never really a good thing and it doesn't it doesn't sound like i, I don't know it's it's hard to place place blame or say that something happened when something couldn't have maybe didn't happen but uh it's just it's when when you're a youtuber and you have that much influence over 
a, a group of well let, let's let's face it most of the people that watch hunting content are young guys like you and me and they commit a a felony it's it's not never a good thing right so oh it's not and and this comes right after the uh, the bomar um poaching case which was the largest in nebraska history uh, so we're getting quite a few big time creators of of hunting content who are who are getting exposed for some pretty you know and who knows the nitty-gritty details but that's yeah that's some pretty hefty pretty hefty weight to carry you know with you're supposed to be putting an example out here and and some of them were trying to you know this example of what you can do and then you go and get five years prison time it, it's it's definitely not a good look no it's it's yeah, it's it's pretty bad I'd, I'd like to add some stuff so with for bomar for example they kind of just swept it under the rug like i don't think not once they mentioned it on their channel they kind of just ignored it all and it wouldn't surprise me if muley freaks takes the same approach although definitely not just I, unless Unless he gets the full five years and a fifty thousand jail fine, and you just or fifty thousand jail, whatever fifty thousand dollar fine, and you just can't ignore it, you're you're gonna try and sweep it under the rug. But I don't think if he spends because he was a big part of their their production, I don't think you can watch him disappear for five years and just sweep it under the rug. That'd be pretty hard to do when one of your biggest personalities on your uh, channel just disappears but and that also just goes into the conflict that happens with people that own private land because they get a lot of rep or a lot of flack around here it's not that bunch because most people around here own private land and i, I know a lot of people out in the midwest or whatever a lot of them kind of have this built-up hatred for private landowners when in reality, like, it's not hard to ask. And if they say no, I mean, there's multiple deer in the world. Yeah, that's an interesting thing, because I know a lot of people hate private land, and they hate out here, you know, Western hunting. I hate private land, and they hate the landowners, because, you know, they're all, I don't want this, I don't want that, get off my land, whatnot. And I know it's different for you, Henry, um, and for Mason, and whatnot. You can ask and get access, but out here... You don't ask and just get access. There is very few, like, one in a hundred thousand times that's going to work. You need to know a guy or you need to have money. Um, those are kind of your two options, and a lot of people hate them for that. Me, on the other hand, I don't, I don't see the hate for it because, sure, there's a lot of private land. There's also a lot of public land. Um, so trespassing is kind of a pretty lame excuse Oh, yeah, well, I only trespass because the landowner is such a Grinch. Well, here's the thing. That, here's the flip side to that. If you owned land and you went out to come out on that land and there was all kinds of people on your land shooting at things and you had cattle there and they're shooting and they're destroying things and they're driving their vehicles off roads and, and whatnot, um, I, I think, I don't know. I, I just think I can kind of understand why a landowner wouldn't want just everyone coming on his land, but that's just me. 
I don't think there's there should be too much hate. I know there's a whole argument there to be had, but just get good and hunt on public land if you're out here. Um, so well, basically, yeah. what I'm saying is skill issue, but what were you saying, Henry? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't think it, it, the point that Muley Freak is in that old channel and, and with how famous they are and how, how successful they are in what they do, public land, self-guided DIY hunts, I don't think the, the whole, oh, it was an accident is a valid excuse. Um, I mean, accidents do happen, but they should have known better. Like it's it's their job. It's what they do. Um, so, uh, oh, for sure. And like, I'm sure they had things like on their phones and stuff like that, or if they didn't have service, like uh, what's the app called? Like iHunt or whatever, where it, like it shows you property lines and stuff like that. On X, yeah, they, which, they had to have known. which works offline. And if you're hunting, you use your GPS all the time. You know where private land is. There is no way, I don't think they stumbled onto some random block of private land and conveniently shot him without knowing they went onto private land. It'd be very, very hard to do that. Um, who knows? But I just think it would be really convenient to, oh, I didn't know, or oh, the GPSs can be off, but they're very accurate. They work offline without cell service. I'm inclined to think that they probably knew rather than they probably didn't know. Just me, though. And it's also going to come down into how far into the private land they were. Because if they were right on the edge, they could get away with it. But if they went really far in, they're not beating the case. Well, yeah. and another thing is, if you shot a buck on public, and I mean, I, again, I speak to my situation and what I've, I've experienced. If, if you shoot a buck on public, and it runs onto private. If you bang on the door of the landowner and say, "Hey, I shot a buck over there on that piece of public," and it ran across your property, it's wounded. I'm just tracking it down. I'm not going to be shooting. I'm not hunting. I'm just trying to find this buck. Recover can the you, body. Can we work? Yeah, can we can we work something out here? I mean, that's a totally different situation than saying, "Hey." I, I knowingly went on private land and shot a buck that I knew was on private land. Oh, yeah, completely different thing. And and that you, you'd have success with. If you shot an animal and it runs onto someone's private, and they'll probably want you on and say, hey, look, I shot him on public, he jumped your fence, whatever. I'm just going to go recover it, get off your property, no issue. You'll probably convince most people to let you do it. If not, you can call a game warden, and if it's dead, pretty sure they still have a right down here anyways to go on and recover that the, the deer. Whether or not you get it, I don't know. It's a whole thing. But that, that, that you'd have a little more success with, and that I could understand, right? I, I yeah. could even understand if you shot it, you're way out in the middle of nowhere, Idaho. You know, it's a big tract of land. The guy who owns it actually lives in Florida, and it's 100 yards on a private land. I could understand going on to private land, dragging it across or processing it, getting it in your pack, field dressing it, and going home. That I could that I could justify. But actually going on to public, private land like you were saying and shooting it, ah. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 nuances to the situation. 
but as always, I just I just think that they should have known better. Exactly. Like when when I'm out hunting, and I've hunted a lot, bordering uh, reservation, bordering private land. The buck I did shoot was 25 yards onto public when I shot him, and about 10 yards this side of the fence when he died. Um, so, I, you know, he was on public when I shot him. He stayed on public, thankfully. I wasn't too worried about it. But I knew I had and always do have a very good idea of where public-private isn't just because, you know, you need to know where that is. So I just find it a little hard to believe they didn't at least know that there was some risk there. But Yeah. Anyways, um, do, do you have very different uh, hunting experience than us, obviously, uh, being down where you are. Uh, and I don't know, do you have any, any stories about whitetail hunting in the South? Uh, most, most definitely. Mainly the starting off, the, you you can't stalk deer around here. Or if you can, it's it's very rare. Like, I've had multiple experiences where we would, like, we were, me and my dad, we were going just to find new areas around the property to set up for plots and stuff like that. And we would just have, we had a fawn that just jumped out in front of us and almost hit my dad running between us because it's so tight in those woods that you can't see these things. And it causes for a lot of bad rep for bait hunters and stuff like that, but it's the only way around here that you're really going to kill a deer. And I remember my first deer, it was after my dad had passed away. It was pretty emotional. I, I remember sitting in the stand and watching it come out. And it wasn't that big. It was pretty little, but I was only like 14 at the time. I didn't really care. And I remember putting, like, just like lining it up, sighting it in. And the like squeezing the trigger, hearing the gun go off, and the deer just drops. And I remember shaking so bad that I almost fell out of the stand, going to get this deer. That's a, a good feeling when you see the deer drop. But what did you shoot him with? Two forty three, really old two forty three that Grandpa gave me. That's the way she's done. Yeah, getting the job done since when was two forty three? Nineteen twenty something? I think so. Something like that. Well, anyways, still gets the job done. For sure. Yeah, oh no. Um nineteen fifty five. First appeared in Winchester's model seventy bolt action. So <laughs> Envisioned as a dual-purpose cartridge uh, for both varmints and medium game. And big game, uh, if you know what you're doing. I know you guys have killed elk, and I'm sure people have killed moose with a two forty-three. Oh, yeah. I've killed both both uh, my pronghorn and my buck, uh, mule deer buck, with the two forty-three. so... It's the master of trades. Oh, yeah. Just a brilliant gun. How many deer have you shot, Dylan? So I've shot, I shot two, if I remember correctly, my first, like after I killed that first year, I shot another one that season. And then the last season, 
Well, not our last season, but the season before that. I killed two as well, one on opening day, one closing out. And then this year, I got a late start because I was out in Indianapolis on opening weekend. So I didn't get a deer on opening. Saw two fawns when I got back, didn't shoot either one, and I just didn't see anything after that piece of the season. So I guess four. And buck does. Uh, one buck, three does. Nice. You guys have that option, uh, to to shoot does. We're not supposed yeah. to do that out here. It's just light flex, you know. I get three does, two bucks, some light. Yeah. So, uh, what what other kind of stories you got from uh, living in the swamp country, there, Dylan? Well, it's not really, not really my story, but I have a story from my dad on how he killed his biggest buck. Because when we were little, we used to own a deer lease, and him, his, him and his brothers and my grandpa would hunt it, and he ended up jumping up this big old ten point, and it's it's great. So they were they were getting high basically. Uh, because they, they had already tried to hunt the the deer because they had planned to uh, drive it out of its bed and have it come across a bunch of people. He gets it out of its bed. It doesn't... No one sees it. And so he goes to his brother and they start smoking. And so they just get absolutely zooted. And this deer walks out. And my, my dad looks at my brother or at his brother and tells him that he can shoot it because I mean, it was originally meant for them. And his brother told him, no, nah, you shoot it. You, you found the deer. You did that. And so he shoots it. He drops it. So now he's high. He has to drag a deer back to the truck. Keep in mind, I, we, we later found out that he had a he had dinner. He, had, he was supposed to have dinner with his ex-wife. They, they got a divorce afterwards because of it. But yeah, <laughs> that is a roller coaster of emotions, right? Yeah, there. the the deer and you, you shoot it, you shoot a big deer, you're high as a kite, just enjoying life, and then you get divorced. <laughs> it's such a such a sad ending, but you know <laughs> the price you pay for big deer, which I don't know if I've I've quoted it before, but there's a guy in my local archery shop, and he says, "You anyone can find." big deer he said anyone can find a 200 inch muley but if they want to do it they're probably going to get divorced so i guess that holds okay. true in this situation mm-hmm. yeah but explain hunting leases um it's not a something not something we're going to have in a lot of places but i know you was a big thing in the south yeah so it's basically a piece of private land I want to say owned by the government and you pay um like a yearly fee. It doesn't have any houses on it or anything. It's kind of like a deer camp in a way. And isn't you pay this by, yearly. Go ahead. Isn't it owned by deer clubs that are like hunting clubs that own the land and then lease it? Or, or am I? No, am the I... hunting clubs and stuff like that are the people that pay the yearly, I believe. Okay. Because we were club ninety-eight or something like that, and so you, you pay the monthly or the yearly fee. It used to not be that much. It's probably a crap ton now. And they, 
you, you get the private land, and it's normally a decent bit. I think ours was 50 acres. I bet. We, we ended up losing it to a bunch of family drama, because after my grandpa died, my dad couldn't really afford it that much, and so his brother's son-in-law offered to pay for it, and they ended up like taking ownership over it and stuff like that. It was real bad. Unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, these stories go very sad, as you can tell. Yeah, as I say, we don't have very much upbeat, uh, an upbeat beat to to hop off of once we once we get to the end of the stories. I feel bad, but I, I I'm not sure what what to say. I can't go well. Glad to glad to see it worked out. <laughs> Sad well, to see it didn't work out, but once smoked a squirrel at two hundred yards of the twenty-two. There we go. Giant squirrel. Yeah. How do you taste? Terrible. Really? Because <laughs> yeah, I had squirrel. There's uh, too many bones. I mean, like I I love squirrel hunting. It's so much fun, but I dread skinning them and I dread eating them. I don't mind skinning them. Like I've hunted, uh, like. I shot a hundred fucking squirrels in the last year or so, um, and like I, I I don't mind skinning them. That's one that I do not mind processing because they're easy, they're quick. Like the way the way we do it, or me and my grandpa did it, um, is you you just cut underneath the tail, you cut uh, around the feet, and then you just case skin them. So because he was he wanted the furs, so he was making something. But uh, I I. I I, I can't say that I enjoy eating them. I, I really don't like the taste of squirrel. For the amount of, of bones, like you said, that are in a squirrel, it, there's just there's not enough meat. Especially red squirrels. It's just, it's, it's, yeah. I had squirrel once, probably 10 years ago at this point, and I was eight, so, you know, who knows what was going on. Um, but I didn't mind it. That doesn't hold much water because, you know, it was 10 years ago when I was 8. But it didn't really seem that bad to me. Of course, you know, had some barbecue sauce or something. So it wasn't just well, like I was eating it straight up, a little bit of salt. It Like, I find it doesn't taste bad. Like, when you put it in a stew or anything like that, like I say, it's not bad at all. But uh, I just, the, the calories to uh, uh, effort effort is it's is just not there like you're expending so much energy to go get these it takes so much time to process them and then like if you're if you're trying to process them to save the hides um yeah. like I, I know i know people who just dunk them in water and uh cut them in half and just pull them apart and they're done in like two seconds but uh yeah i mean it's, it's definitely it's definitely an acquired taste and it's definitely a uh you really got to want it. Yeah, because yeah. I, I obviously I didn't have much to do with the uh, the processing it. We didn't we didn't keep the uh, the hide, but I didn't I didn't even shoot it. It was me and my older brother and my dad. I did what I did do though was we went out there. Um, and we sat down. I don't know. This was like a spur of the moment thing. We just decided to go out shoot some squirrels. Didn't have much time. Um, but what my dad did do, he gave me two quarters. Um, and so once the squirrel was moving up the tree, 
he nudged me and I, I, you know, rubbed the two quarters together on the edge to, like, kind of mimic what the squirrels do. I don't know if you've ever heard of that or not. That's what I did. And so the squirrel stops, it looks, and then it got popped and fell off the tree. So, And then my dad did the skinning and I went inside. Uh, so we went back to the truck. I, I don't even, well, we were taking it home and then he did the skinning. I did not bother to watch. So, I wasn't involved in that. All I had to do was eat it. So, you know, that that, that does play a factor. I didn't have to do all the, the grueling work. Yeah. yeah. I but, mean... Go ahead, Dylan. Uh, squirrel gumbo is pretty much the only thing that I will eat that's squirrel. But, um... I, I don't know what kind of varmints y'all eat out there. But like, we, we love having, like, opportunity rabbits... Like, I, I haven't killed many rabbits, but we have swamp rabbits down here, and so these things are huge. And so you shoot one, and you're eating for a couple of days off of just a rabbit. That's that's it's not pretty- too bad. We just have skinny desert jackrabbits and then prairie dogs, and I'm not going to eat a prairie dog. I'll, eat, I'll even try coyote, but I'm not trying prairie dog. Um, so yeah. that's about as much varmints as, as we have. Jackrabbits. I- they're too skinny to make for much eating. Yeah, and then I've you tried. Also live, you also live in Louisiana, so you have the best cooking in the country. So you know you also have that working towards you, favor. Oh, for sure. And I mean, I've tried raccoon. Uh, funny story. Um, I used to trap them as a kid and just kill them and get rid of them because you know there's a lot of them, and. We had a neighbor that my dad was friends with, and for some reason, they loved raccoons. So I trapped him one. It's a decent size one, and and I, I shot it and I gave it to him. And they, they skinned it, and they brought some back. They're like, you should try it. It's good. Yeah, it, it was it was an old couple, and I don't know if age was getting to them because they couldn't see. But this raccoon meat was covered in raccoon hair, and <laughs> so it was terrible and did not taste good whatsoever. And I vowed to never kill a raccoon, or I definitely will kill another raccoon. I vowed to never eat raccoon ever again. Nothing like a little bit of hair to flavor your meat. And I mean, it's it's amazing how big raccoons are. Like, like when you think about them, you think of them pretty small, but this past season, when I was sitting in the deer stand, it was right before dark. And this raccoon walks out, and it, it's got to be the raccoon god. This thing was the size of a fox. Yeah. Absolutely huge. I thought about shooting it, and looking back, I wish I did. Eating good down there. Yeah, yeah I've, I've only hunted two and twenty. We have so few of them out here. I did back, back in Ohio when I was visiting with an uncle, but uh, most of them... <laughs> got chased out onto tree limbs over a river. Uh, so we didn't recover, like, I don't know, four of them that we shot. Uh, so we only recovered a couple, and they weren't, they were, none of them were that big. But, yeah, I know, I know they get big enough to do some serious damage to some dogs. So, not doing too bad. We have more than enough raccoons here. Like, I put out corn for deer, and it's... I have to purposely put my trail cam above average height. Otherwise, I just get nothing but videos of raccoons because there will be like 12 raccoons out at a time just going the town. 
Uh, I, I was actually one night we were well, we were trying to shoot deer that were getting into cornfields, sweet cornfields. And so I'm sitting here on the edge of a cornfield, and there's something rustling behind me. I turn around, and it's it's dusk. Raccoon walks up. Walks up. Gets to about, I don't know. I could have reached out and swatted the thing. He walks up, stares at me. Gets on his hind legs. Husks a piece of corn. And just stares at me for, I don't know, ten seconds. And I get up. And I start walking towards it. It doesn't move. It just stares me down. And then I get close to it. And it just goes back onto all fours. Starts walking away. Not spooked, not nothing. It was just, it was really, really spiting me a little bit. Because we were trying to shoot a deer, not a raccoon. And he just walked up right behind me. Said, what are you going to do about it? And disappeared back into the cornfield. <laughs> he had the smuggest look on his face too. I'm telling you, they can have a smug look on their face. And he had that on his face. Oh, yeah. Raccoons are definitely intelligent. My uncle had a pet raccoon, and it was evil. He also had a pet squirrel. At the, the, the swamp people, I guess, uh, the raccoon would do tricks, and it wore a diaper, and it would bite people. <laughs> so it was basically just a baby. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I guess you wouldn't have raccoons up there, would you, Henry? No, but we have porcupines, which uh, <laughs> I, I, they're not even remotely close to the, the same. But that it's just funny that you mentioned you're, you're sitting in a cornfield and you're you're just you're looking for deer, and all of a sudden there's a raccoon standing right behind you. The same thing with porcupines. Porcupines will come right up to you, and they don't even know you're there until you move. Like. It's so hard to explain until you've actually experienced, you know, a porcupine sneaking up and sitting down right behind you, eating a piece of bark, and not know you're there. Um, yeah, they're just they're strange little creatures, but like yeah. pretty much harmless, right? Like a pork, it's not like a porcupine's going to charge you. Even if you're sitting two feet from it, it's still not going to charge you. It might try to run into you with its quills, but like. Yeah, normally, like, when my dog this spring got into a porcupine, it, like, I was trying to shoo it off, and I was right beside it, and it kept trying to back into me, and I had my big leather steel toe boots on, and, like, I just kept my foot up and just kept pushing it away, pushing it away, pushing it away until it got the message and it started to run away. But even when they start to run away, it's funny, because they're just, they just waddle, and they're slow. So, yeah. But no, no, no raccoons around here. Uh, Henry, have you had any experiences with, like, has you, like I don't know if you have dogs or not, but have you had dogs, like, try to attack porcupines and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. This this spring I had, both my dogs got into one that was close to the house. Like, I recently moved to Alberta. So, like, I used to live in the Northwest Territories, and, and I, the things that my dogs got into up there was ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, this, this spring... It, it was a porcupine and one of my dogs, my German shepherd surprisingly didn't get hit very bad. She only got two quills stuck right in the very tip of her nose. So I was able to pull them out with a pair of pliers, but my other dog got right a hold of it. He had them in his nose and in his mouth. And yeah, it was, it was nasty. It was a trip to the vet. Right. Yeah, sorry for uh, going silent there. I got a fly in my keyboard, and I didn't want to crush it and make a mess in my keyboard. Um, 
So to add on to that with the porcupine things, I've had a dog get into port with confrontations with the porcupine twice. Same dog. Both times I was not there to witness it. Um, and the first time we were up at our cabin and he disappeared. We didn't find him. We went home and my dad actually had to go back up and get him when someone up there near by found it, called us. And we get home. He'd gotten bad um, all over his face, inside his, his jaws. And I held him down. This is a Rottweiler Mastiff mix. He's about, I don't know, 180 pounds. And I had to try and hold this dog down while my dad tried to remove porcupine clothes from me from it and uh i i gotta tell you that was not an easy task because that dog weighs quite a bit more than me and he did not want to be held down um and we worked on it for i don't know two hours it was one in the morning and then he took him to the vet because there was some that were in his mouth just couldn't get because obviously you don't want to put your hand in his mouth and try to remove him uh he might bite down so and then he did it again that time not as bad thankfully uh, but again, it's hard to hold down a dog that when you're trying to pull quills out of their snout. Well, especially a 180-pound ball of muscle like a Rottweiler, right? Exactly. And I don't know what possessed him to do it twice. Um, but I, I want to walk. I want to take him for a walk and find a porcupine and see how he reacts. <laughs> if he wants revenge, I hope well, I can hold him back. I hope though he's just learned his lesson, but. Oh, that's that's kind of funny because like when I was really young, my dad had a dog too that got into a porcupine. Her name was Jessie. She was this great big massive. I don't know if she was a husky wolf cross, but like she was a hundred percent a wolf, like a wolf cross. She looked just like a wolf except she was pure white, and uh, and she was yeah she was just gigantic, but uh, she really friendly around people, really friendly. Uh, around kids but absolutely hated other dogs and hated porcupines and one day she got into a porcupine first thing in the morning when my dad was going going to work and uh so yeah, he's like well there's no way he's going to be able to hold the dog down by himself and pull the quills out my mom wouldn't go anywhere near her so uh, he loaded her into the back of the truck and went into town and at the time the place he was working at was a like a civil construction company so he had a, like six, five or six of the guys that were working there hold this dog down, and then they had this one lady who had like really small hands to be able to hold the pliers to get the quills out of her mouth. And yeah, he said it took five people to hold this dog down, and while they were holding it down, she was just growling the meanest, like hateful growl you'd ever hear. And as soon as they let her go, everybody like let her go and jump back. And she uh, she stood up, she shook herself off, she licked her chops there, she looked around at everybody in that room, she turned around and slunk out to her doghouse that was out front of the shop. But I just thought that's the, the uh, yeah, porcupines, that's all I could say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah. Get away with so much. Yeah, well, and that's, like, even too, my great-grandfather had dogs like teeth. And he had this great big massive uh, husky called Kalijah. And uh, one time he got in right around Christmas. This is one of the stories that one of my aunts tells me. Um, right around Christmas, this big 
husky gets into a porcupine with the rest of the sled dog team. So my aunt and my grandfather had to hold down these huskies and, and pull all the quills out. And again, my aunt was the one sticking her hand in the, the dog's mouth to pull the quills out because she had small hands. Well, my, my, my grandfather held down these, these dogs and yeah, just porcupines are such little nuisances, even though they're so like bumbling and harmless. Yeah, I know. Um, well, thank you again, Dylan, for, for taking the time out of your day to, to join us here and, um, give, give some insight on the life of a man in the swamps. Um, I don't know how stereotypical that may be, but that's what we're calling you from now on. So unless either of you had anything else to add. No, I mean, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, of course. Henry? No, just, uh, yeah, thanks for for being with us. Dylan, it was a pleasure talking to you. Um, yeah. Well, I think that's about all we have for today's episode. Uh, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Back in Camp. Uh, everybody stay safe, stay warm where it applies, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you next time.